This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For further information, and to find out how you could volunteer, please go to LibriVox.org. Recording by Andy Minter The Prisoner of Zender by Anthony Hope Chapter 19 Face to Face in the Forest For a moment I could see nothing, for the glare of lanterns and torches caught me full in the eyes from the other side of the bridge, but soon the scene grew clear, and it was a strange scene. The bridge was in its place. At the far end of it stood a group of the Duke's servants. Two or three carried the lights which had dazzled me. Three or four held pikes in rest. They were huddled together. Their weapons were protruded before them. Their faces were pale and agitated. To put it plainly, they looked in as arrant a fright as I have seen men look, and they gazed apprehensively at a man who stood in the middle of the bridge, sword in hand. Rupert Hentzow was in his trousers and shirt. The white linen was stained with blood, but his easy, buoyant pose told me that he was himself either not touched at all or merely scratched. There he stood, holding the bridge against them, and daring them to come on or rather bidding them send Black Michael to him. And they, having no firearms, cowered before the desperate man, and dared not attack him. They whispered to one another, and in the backmost rank I saw my friend Johann, leaning against the portal of the door, and staunching with a handkerchief the blood which flowed from a wound in his cheek. By marvellous chance I was master. The cravens would oppose me no more than they dared attack Rupert. I had but to raise my revolver, and I sent him to his account with his sins on his head. He did not so much as know that I was there. I did nothing. Why, I hardly know to this day. I had killed one man stealthily that night, and another by luck rather than skill. Perhaps it was that. Again, villain as the man was, I did not relish being one of a crowd against him. Perhaps it was that. But stronger than either of these restrained feelings came a curiosity and a fascination which held me spellbound, watching for the outcome of the scene. "'Michael, you dog! Michael, if you can stand, come on!' cried Rupert. And he advanced a step, the group shrinking back a little before him. "'Michael, you bastard, come on!' The answer to his taunts came in the wild cry of a woman. "'He's dead! My God, he's dead!' "'Dead?' shouted Rupert. "'I struck better than I knew!' And he laughed triumphantly. Then he went on. "'Down with your weapons there! I'm your master now! Down with them, I say!' I believe they would have obeyed, but as he spoke came new things. Firstly there arose a distant sound, as of shouts and knockings from the other side of the chateau. My heart leapt, it must be my men, come by a happy disobedience to seek me. The noise continued, but none of the rest seemed to heed it. Their attention was chained by what now happened before their eyes. The group of servants parted, and a woman staggered on to the bridge. Antoinette de Maubin was in a loose white robe. Her dark hair streamed over her shoulders, her face was ghastly pale, and her eyes gleamed wildly in the light of the torches. In her shaking hand she held a revolver, and as she tottered forward she fired it at Rupert Hentzow. 
The ball missed him, and struck the woodwork over my head. "'Faith, madam,' laughed Rupert, "'had your eyes been no more deadly than your shooting, I had not been in this scrape, nor Black Michael in hell to-night.' She took no notice of his words. With a wonderful effort she calmed herself till she stood still and rigid. Then, very slowly and deliberately, she began to raise her arm again, taking the most careful aim. He would be mad to risk it. He must rush on her, chancing the bullet, or retreat toward me. I covered him with my weapon. He did neither. Before she had got her aim, he bowed in his most graceful fashion, and cried, "'I can't kill where I've kissed,' and before she or I could stop him, laid his hand on the parapet of the bridge, and lightly leapt into the moat. At the very moment I heard a rush of feet, and a voice, I knew, Zapt's cry, "'God, it's the Duke, dead!' Then I knew that the King needed me no more, and throwing down my revolver, I sprang out on the bridge. There was a cry of wild wonder, "'The King!' Then I, like Rupert Hentzow, sword in hand, vaulted over the parapet, intent on finishing my quarrel with him where I saw his curly head fifteen yards off in the water of the moat. He swam swiftly and easily. I was weary and half crippled with my wounded arm. I could not gain on him. For a time I made no sound, but as we rounded the corner of the old keep I cried, "'Stop, Rupert! Stop!' I saw him look over his shoulder, but he swam on, he was under the bank now, searching, as I guessed, for a spot that he could climb. I knew there to be none, but there was my rope, which would still be hanging where I left it. He would come to where it was before I could. Perhaps he would miss it, perhaps he would find it, and if he drew it up after him, he would get a good start on me. I put forth all my remaining strength, and pressed on. At last I began to gain on him, for he, occupied with his search, unconsciously slackened his pace. Ah! he had found it. A low shout of triumph came from him. He laid hold of it and began to haul himself up. I was near enough to hear him mutter, Ah! Oh, the devil comes this here! I was at the rope, and he, hanging in mid-air, saw me. But I could not reach him. Hello! Who's here? he cried in startled tones. For a moment I believe he took me for the king. I dare say I was pale enough to lend colour to the thought. But an instant later he cried, "'Why, it's the play-actor! How came you here, man?' And so saying he gained the bank. I laid hand on the rope, but I paused. He stood on the bank, sword in hand, and he could cut my head open or spit me through the heart as I came up. I let go the rope. "'Never mind,' said I, "'but as I'm here, I think I'll stay.' He smiled down on me. "'These women are the deuce,' he began, when suddenly the great bell of the castle started to ring furiously, and a loud shout reached us from the moat. Rupert smiled again and waved his hand to me. "'I should like a turn with you, but it's a little too hot,' said he, and he disappeared from above me. In an instant, without thinking of danger, I laid my hand to the rope. I was up. I saw him thirty yards off, running like a deer towards the shelter of the forest.' For once Rupert Hentzow had chosen discretion for his part. I laid my feet to the ground and rushed after him, calling to him to stand. He would not. Unwounded and vigorous he gained on me at every step. 
but forgetting everything in the world except him and my thirst for his blood, I pressed on, and soon the deep shades of the forest of Zender engulfed us both, pursued and pursuer. It was three o'clock now, and day was dawning. I was on a long, straight grass avenue, and a hundred yards ahead ran young Rupert, his curls waving in the fresh breeze. I was weary and panting. He looked over his shoulder and waved his hand again to me. He was mocking me, for he saw that he had the pace of me. I was forced to pause for breath. A moment later, Rupert turned sharply to the right and was lost from my sight. I thought it was all over, and in deep vexation sank on the ground. But I was up again directly, for a scream rang through the forest, a woman's scream. Putting forth the last of my strength, I ran on to the place where he had turned out of my sight, and turning also I saw him again. But alas, I could not touch him. He was in the act of lifting a girl down from her horse. Doubtless it was her scream that I heard. She looked like a small farmer's or a peasant's daughter, and she carried a basket on her arm. Probably she was on her way to the early market at Zender. Her horse was a stout, well-shaped animal. Master Rupert lifted her down amid her shrieks. The sight of him frightened her, but he treated her gently, laughed, kissed her, and gave her money. Then he jumped on the horse, sitting sideways like a woman, and then he waited for me. I, on my part, waited for him. Presently he rode toward me, keeping his distance, however. He lifted up his hand, saying, "'What did you in the castle?' "'I killed three of your friends,' said I. "'What? You got to the cells?' "'Yes. And the king?' "'He was hurt by Detchard before I killed Detchard, but I pray that he lives.' "'You fool,' said Rupert pleasantly. "'One more thing I did. Then what's that?' "'I spared your life. I was behind you on the bridge with a revolver in my hand.' "'No. Faith, I was between two fires.' "'Get off your horse,' I cried, "'and fight like a man.' "'Before a lady,' said he, pointing to the girl, "'fie, your majesty.' "'Then in my rage, hardly knowing what I did, "'I rushed at him. "'For a moment he seemed to waver. "'Then he reined his horse in and stood waiting for me. "'On I went in my folly. "'I seized the bridle and I struck at him. "'He parried and thrust at me.' I fell back a pace and rushed in at him again, and this time I reached his face and laid his cheek open and darted back before he could strike me. He seemed almost mazed at the fierceness of my attack. Otherwise I think he must have killed me. I sank on my knee, panting, expecting him to ride at me, and so he would have done, and then and there I doubt not one or both of us would have died. But at the moment there came a shout from behind us, and looking round I saw, just at the turn of the avenue, a man on a horse. He was riding hard, and he carried a revolver in his hand. It was Fritz von Thalenheim, my faithful friend. Rupert saw him and knew that the game was up. He checked his rush at me and flung his leg over the saddle, but yet, just for a moment, he waited. Leaning forward, he tossed the hair off his forehead and smiled and said, "'Au revoir, Rudolf Rassendil.' Then, with his cheeks streaming blood, but his lips laughing and his body swaying with ease and grace, he bowed to me, and he bowed to the farm-girl, who had drawn near in trembling fascination. And he waved his hand to Fritz, who was just within range, and let fly a shot at him. The ball came nigh doing its work, for it struck the sword he held, 
and he dropped the sword with an oath, wringing his fingers, and clapped his heels hard on his horse's belly and rode away at a gallop. And I watched him go down the long avenue, riding as though he rode for his pleasure and singing as he went, for all that there was that gash in his cheek. Once again he turned to wave his hand, and then the gloom of the thickets swallowed him, and he was lost from our sight. Thus he vanished, reckless and wary, graceful and graceless, handsome, debonair, vile, and unconquered. And I flung my sword passionately on the ground and cried to Fritz to ride after him. But Fritz stopped his horse and leapt down and ran to me and knelt, putting his arm about me. And indeed it was time, for the wound that Detchard had given me was broken forth afresh, and my blood was staining the ground. Then give me the horse, I cried, staggering to my feet and throwing his arms off me. And the strength of my rage carried me so far as where the horse stood, and then I fell prone beside it, and Fritz knelt by me again. Fritz, I said. Aye, friend, dear friend, said he, tender as a woman. Is the king alive? He took his handkerchief and wiped my lips and bent and kissed me on the forehead. Thanks to the most gallant gentleman that lives, said he softly, the king is alive. The little farm girl stood by us, weeping for fright and wide eyed for wonder, for she had seen me at Zender, and was I not pallid, dripping, foul and bloody as I was, yet was not I the king? And when I heard that the king was alive, I strove to cry hurrah, but I could not speak. And I laid my head back in Fritz's arms, and closed my eyes, and I groaned, and then, lest Fritz should do me wrong in his thoughts, I opened my eyes and tried to say hurrah again, but I could not. And being very tired and now very cold, I huddled myself close up to Fritz to get the warmth of him, and shut my eyes again, and went to sleep. End of chapter 19